0: Five crucial characteristics of uncommon people. That's where we are. And you may be saying at this point, I like common. Common's pretty good. It's pretty safe. You might have something. I'll I'll give you that. High school, junior high, you are dismissed. I'm going to run through this just real quickly. We started with purpose that in order to become uncommon, in order to be that which is experiencing more than the common... You've got to start with knowing your purpose. Secondly, we talked about selflessness. But the commonality of what is preached to you and enveloped around you day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year, in, year out, is get yours. Right? Get yours. And so the challenge for you and I is, think about someone who's uncommon. Just think about them. I would dare say that one of the things that made them uncommon in your eyes is the fact that they're selfless. Being selfless stands out in huge contrast to the common world all around us. And it's who Christ is. It's what Christ exemplified. Now we're on faith. We started this two weeks ago. We'll complete it today. We took the word faith and we made it an acronym and uh, we're working on H today. Next week we'll talk about risk. Why risk? Because sometimes when pastors talk about faith, they kind of mislead their congregations. And so people run out and they just make really bad decisions saying, well, a uh, pastor said just, you know, get out there and make a crazy, crazy decision that has no bearing in logic whatsoever So I want to be careful that I don't lead you down that path. So next week we'll talk about risk and the value of risk and the trappings of of risk. And how to work all that together. Then we're going to finish up with moving mountains. So last week we talked a lot about Hebrews 11.6. That's where we're going to camp out this week as well. We'll have other scripture that we're going to be in. But we're still really using this as the predicated verse for the idea of faith. And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, and that He what? He rewards those who seek Him. So we started out with the idea, actually, we had this great quote, Faith makes a Christian, life proves a Christian, trials confirm a Christian, and death crowns a Christian. And we challenged you with this salient thought of the common life lacks faith, The uncommon life is unlocked by faith. This morning, where is your faith? Where is your walk of faith? Now, is faith just uh, strictly regulated to a singular decision at some point in time? It isn't. Now, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, yes, there is that initial effort of faith on our part to trust in Him, As our Lord and Savior. That is a huge challenge. But as you enter into relationship with Christ, guess what? He wants to encourage you in more and more and more and more efforts of faith. It never stops. It's never unending. Why? Because if you trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, now you're locked into relationship with Him. Now your life is lived in accordance with Him. Now your purpose is changed. Now your focus changes. And when that happens in a common world, and your purposes become uncommon, faith plays a huge part in this on a daily level. And that's exciting. But it's also challenging, isn't it? So we started with the F in faith, and it stood for freedom. And, and really, uh, what I want you to take away from this is freedom to have limitless favor from your Heavenly Father. That when we talk about this religion or or extension of what it means to be a Christian, sometimes we shorten it into the law. And Galatians 3.23 really talks about that, that. That Paul was writing to the church at Galatia and there were individuals walking around wanting to suck people back into the law. You see, the law was that which proved your guilt. You ever gotten a ticket? Yeah, it felt great, didn't it? Very freeing experience. It's freeing on the pocketbook, is what it is. Okay. How many of you really appreciated the law, the penal code that was cited, if if it was cited to you? I don't. I don't need to know that. Don't. Tell, I don't even want to know about what law I broke. Okay. That's what the law does. And you see, that was the system that was set up. It was an imperfect system when Christ came. He made that system perfect. It's not that we throw all that out. That helps us know what sin looks like. What it means to walk in an unrighteous way versus a righteous way. But Christ comes along and He gives us faith. And faith gives us freedom. And yet were those, there were those that were walking through the churches and they understood how the law would work to their own selfish power. They could control people by holding the law over those individuals. And that's how it used to work. And so they would come in and they would worm their way into, we learned all all about this in Titus, right? Same thing was happening in these other churches. Is quote-unquote leaders would come in and they would see an opportunity so they would want to reintroduce the emphasis of the law. And Paul comes along and says, what are you doing? It's like you're walking into the cell, you're grabbing the shackles, you're locking them down on your feet. Why would you ever do that? How many of us understand that whole thing about, you know, you get a traffic, what do they call it, a traffic violation, right? You get a traffic violation, how many of, go ahead, you can admit this, we'll turn off the camera for just a second, how many of you have ever thought about that whole thing, hey, I hope that the officer doesn't show up in court, oh, you didn't even need to raise your hands, right? Right? Because you want the freedom from it. How many of you said, I really hope he shows up and I hope the judge gives me everything I have coming to me. You got to start with freedom. That's what this is all about. Because of Christ, we have freedom. You got to start there because it's beautiful. It's incredible. Moving on. Attitude. And I'll I'll focus on the the third point. And by the way, all of this is in your sermon notes. If you missed two weeks ago, it's kind of grayed out because it's not what we're really emphasizing. So I'm just hitting a couple points. Attitude is the result of our pursuits combined with discernment. And here's a fascinating thing about our faith. Is that our faith is only as strong as our actions. And James talks about this extensively in in his letter. He says, show me someone who lives by grace, I'll show you someone who lives by faith. Faith produces fruit. Faith is that thing that creates relationship with Christ. So many Christians, or quote-unquote Christians, have made a commitment. Now watch this, This this is fantastic. Tell me that this is the person you want to be married to. They come to the marriage altar, they have the right attitude... And they're making a decision and a commitment right here at the at the wedding altar. And then when we're done, we're, we've eaten the cake, we've popped the champagne. They go right back to their apartment, right back to their single life, and that's what they're that's what they're all about. But they're married. We have a lot of Christians that live their faith that way. And I dare say, they, were, they are the ones, and listen to me carefully, they are the ones that Christ said, and on that day they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And Christ will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. This is about relationship. And your attitude is a way to check and see if you truly have that relationship. Relationship. Our attitude towards Christ means we are in a lifelong pursuit, an eternal pursuit towards Christ, towards faith. And that's shrouded with the discernment of understanding the Word through prayer. Next, incredible. This really wouldn't be worth even preaching. Why move to the uncommon unless it's incredible? Think about the most incredible things that you've experienced in your life. Hopefully when we did our our little uh, exercise of worship in the remember the Lord your God, hopefully there was something that triggered there for you that was incredible. I pray that it was there. And if it's not there, then I encourage you, pursue. Pursue. Because this life is incredible. Incredible change is possible because... Your pursuit of God has limitless abilities. Remember Jeremiah 17.5. If I trust in myself, I'm very limited. And I think I can do a few things. But when it comes to God, He reaches beyond what I can do and carries me through the valley of the shadow of death. He takes me to places and platitudes of experiences that I never thought I would be blessed to, to share. He gives me opportunity to speak. And things go beyond my abilities to speak where lives are changed. It's incredible. And so that brings us to trust. So I'm going to give you three things here. We're going to hit each one. So if you're filling in the blanks, don't worry, we'll come back to it. But we're going to start with trust is the scary twin of faith. When I got married, I was blessed with an incredible dowry. I think that's what they call it, right? Like, like when the, it's what comes with the bride, okay? I got this incredible dowry. It was in the form of a 1972 Ford Courier truck. It's what I received as part of the dowry. It was incredible. Cindy can attest to this. She drove it for a while. Um, beautiful, beautiful truck. It was a chalky light blue, I believe. Chalky light blue. Um, faded chalky light you know, like a lot of the European sports cars that they 're doing now, and uh, uh, my pride just swelled whenever I was driving this fine beast um, and uh, you know it was a four cylinder that three of them worked, and um, it was always a challenge, but this was a this was a vehicle that you could work on right back in the day <laughs> The only computer in this was my phone all right and and so Had some great memories in that truck. Well, here's the thing about that truck. Is it a perfect truck to have when you're young? And, um, you know, you're not necessarily as wise as maybe you should be. And when I say trust is the scary twin of faith, I think of this moment in my life. You see, the brakes weren't that great in that truck after that. You know what? They were pneumatic brakes. I called them pneumatic brakes. Because there was air in the lines, and the master cylinder was about half blown, and so you had to pump your brakes to get any kind of braking ability. And it's just a, you know, I mean, it's, it's the difference between having an automatic where you don't do anything with your feet and a, and a stick. It's just a little more advanced, right? You pump the brakes a couple times, you get brakes. Not everybody can do it, but I enjoyed it. It was a little exercise. It was great. Now I have full braking power, and look what's happened to my body. So there you go. And uh, so I went on a surf trip with my friends down to Mexico. Scare your twin of faith, trust is. And I had full trust in my brakes because I was used to it. I knew it. I understood it. I could do it. And we got down there. We pulled into San Miguel, great surf spot, but it was flat. It was dead. I'd had some bad fish tacos. I was tired. I hadn't slept the night before. So as we walked back to the truck which is filled like the Beverly Hillbillies truck. I kid you not. It was filled like that with everything, okay? And, and uh, my friend Paul said, well, why don't I drive the next leg? I said, sure, go ahead. So three of us pile in, three of us across the front. Yeah, three of us pile in this thing. I forgot to tell Paul about my magical brake system. It was a miracle. There's a cliff there at San Miguel. And uh, Paul learned real quick how to cry out for the Lord, um, as he realized there were no brakes in that car. And uh, I was trying to sleep, and, and I suddenly learned how to speak in tongues, and uh, told him in no uncertain terms, pump the brakes! And we stopped about three feet from the edge of the cliff. And um, you would think I would learn my lesson, but I didn't! Because I know how to use those brakes. You know, trust, I had trust in that system Eventually, it failed. And trust is the scarier part of faith. Peter knew something about this. Let's look at this to prove the point. Jesus is with his disciples. He's feeding the 5,000. He comes with nothing. And so he turns to his boys and he says, Hey, go out there and garner up some food. Figure out what we got. 5000 people here we we got to have something so they come up with what you know some fish and some loaves it really isn't going to cover a lot of people maybe four maybe five and Jesus says go ahead pass it out and now we have the scary part don't we and the disciples falter and say what are you talking about we have, you can't do this this is impossible so Jesus does what Jesus does But there's something fascinating, by the way, what I'm reading to you or what I'm quoting to you sets up this, it's just preceding. When Jesus gets done with that great miracle, he turns to his disciples and there's some dispute over the actual wordage here in the Greek or the Aramaic, but he basically says, get out of my face. Okay? There you go, there's the literal rendering of it. He was frustrated with them. Because they still don't get it. They still don't get it. He'd already performed multiple miracles. He'd already proven himself over and over to them. He comes and he says a simple little thing. Just pass out the bread and fish. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, there's no way we can feed all these people. Just pass out the bread and fish. Now we get done with this. They see what you can do. And Jesus says, just get away from me. Go get in a boat. Go out on the lake. Get away from me. Here's the fascinating thing. This trust is scary. But trust is imperative to faith. Absolutely imperative to faith. Imperative to our growth in our relationship with Christ. It is imperative to being uncommon and moving from the common. Do you want to experience what God has that goes beyond your limitations? I want a car with full brakes, Please. So he sends them out on the lake, and they're out there in the third watch. It's the middle of the night, middle of the morning, actually. And uh, it's storming, and it's not good. It's scary. And Jesus has sent them. Now, to their credit, they they did it. And now Jesus starts walking by (laughs) on the water. And they're scared to death because they think it's a ghost. And this is where we pick up the verse. Twenty-eight. And Peter answered him, "Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." He said, "Come." So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Stop! Don't look any further. Boom! That's trust. That's it right there. That's the scarier part. How many of us would? It's, how many of us are John? How many of us are Philip? Nathaniel. Okay, he literally is Nathaniel. He literally was Philip, and he's he's out here. Right? Who are you in the boat? Are you Peter? I don't know if I'm Peter. Because it's scary, isn't it? But you see, that's what Christ requires. You want to grow in your faith. You want to truly understand an uncommon relationship. It's really cool to sit back and, and, and think about and fantasize about this great relationship that the disciples had with Christ. It came at a cost came at a cost, my friends. They went out on a boat on a lake that they had no business. Kind of like being on the, you know, on a cliff with a 72 Ford Courier that has no brakes. Actually, it's not like that at all. That was just foolishness for me. I wasn't obeying the Lord with anything there. And so Peter's doing it all right, isn't he? Here's why my point is my point. The trust is the scary part of faith. Let's read. But when he saw the wind, he was what? He was afraid. Fear is the killer of trust. Whether it's our relationship with Christ, our walk with Christ, or whether it's just our everyday living of life, whether it's our relationships, Whether it's our job. How many of us are worried about our job? How many of us are worried about our kids? How many of us are worried about our relationships? How many of us are worried about the economy? How many of us are desperately worried that gas is going to go back up? Enjoy your millennial peace right now, my friends, because it would be going back up. Peter got his eyes off of Christ started thinking about his own limitations and himself. And he got scared. And what happened? He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me! You know what's beautiful about that statement is he remembered the Lord is God. Have you been in that position where you're sinking and you cried out to God? And he followed through. Do you now know why we did what we did this morning? Peter cried out because he suddenly remembered maybe the feeding of the 5,000, maybe the healing of the paralytic, maybe, and on and on, right? And he's thinking, and maybe he remembers hey, I made it all the way out to Jesus. I didn't do that on my own. My friends, if we want to be uncommon, move from the common to the uncommon. Especially in our faith, we have to come to terms with the fact that trust is the scary part or the scary twin of faith. Second, trust is the deal breaker for faith. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at Jeremiah 17.5. Let's break this down a little bit. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. I came across this passage uh, shortly after I graduated from college. And it struck me deeply because it was in answer to calling out to the Lord someone was going through a deep, deep crisis and they had walked away because they said God had left them. Or if this horrible thing had happened, I don't want to have anything to do with God if God is this sovereign God. He's in control of it all. I sat in a chapel at Trinity University for a theology conference for one day and we talked about these deeper things about the sovereignty of God. We got so deep that we talked about does evil come from God? And on and on and on it went as I was privileged to listen to brilliant minds pontificate about the finer Machinations of theology and scholardom. That was pretty good. You know, you can take all that and put it in a book until suddenly you're thrown out of a boat and you really have to wrestle. Is God sovereign? And is He sovereign in a moment Of evil. How do you deal with that? And the first part of this verse is why we have this second point. Trust is a deal breaker. And for many people, their faith has been shipwrecked because of one event. Or maybe it's multiple events where guess what? They fail to remember the Lord their God. All they can see is the destruction. Does anybody know John 10.10? The thief comes to what? Steal. To kill and to destroy. And Jesus responds to that and He says, but I have come to give you what? Life. And life to the full. You know, I could have stopped driving. Paul could have stopped driving based off of my Ford Courier truck. This is way too dangerous, this stuff. That scared me half to death. I almost died driving. Some of you will experience that, teaching your children to drive. Maybe they shouldn't drive, I don't know. But what a tragedy if I had stopped driving because of some faulty mechanics. Right? And yet, this happens all the time in the spiritual realms, my friend. Because trust is required for this thing called faith. There's no freebies. And my encouragement to you is if your faith has been shipwrecked because some big thing came and hit you, and you said, Where is God? and you felt God didn't answer, I implore you to go back. Otherwise, you're going to be a shrub in a desert. And that's the best it's ever going to get. I share that with you because I've talked with men that have walked through that desert and they fit this. Not just men, but men and women. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. I do not want to be a shriveled bush, spiritually speaking, that's given up because of an overwhelming circumstance where I just interpreted things wrong. Is God worthy of our trust? I think you're able to answer that the more you're in relationship with Him. I think you're able to answer that like Peter was able to answer that if you get out of the boat every once in a while. It's scary, right? But let me ask you, do you think Peter's experience On the water was a deal breaker for him or any of the other disciples. If you read further in the story, it definitely isn't. They gave praise and said, surely you are the Son of God. You don't know those things unless you get out of the boat, my friends. But there is a choice involved to trust or not to trust. Don't let it be a deal breaker. Don't let trust be a deal breaker. Remember the Lord your God. Next, Trust is the requirement for faith. This past week, my wife and I were faced with some challenging decisions. And there was one that I just wanted to buckle down on. I wanted to pull verses 5 and 6. You know, I knew a lot about a lot. And there were some decisions to be made pertaining to the crisis my family's going through And this is probably the only thing I started to put my foot down on. And it became quickly apparent and quickly obvious I wasn't going to get my way. And I started to get panicky. And so I started to call out to the Lord and just saying, God, please, please, didn't get my way. And as we... Walked through the halls of a certain building that I didn't want to be in. This was on the wall. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. I had to trust God with that decision. Little did I know that we would be surrounded by Scripture in the place I didn't want to go. You see, God works beyond our capacity. When we don't think it's there, God is there. We have to remember the Lord our God. Trust is the requirement for faith. And it's funny how He has these little moments with us, right? There's a little humor, because after I saw the Scripture, I'm like, are you kidding me? That's, I'm going to be preaching that Sunday. And you're just sitting there going, ha, 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 ha. Mr. Big Pastor, who knows the Scripture, who has walked deep roads. Let me just remind you trust at all times is a requirement for faith. And did he let me down? No. He blessed me beyond what I thought would ever happen. Hear that learn from it and follow it h is for heaven you know you go back to the verse hebrews eleven six. there's a fascinating thing about faith you know stepping out in faith and taking all this risk and going into these elements of being unsure and all that uh, why would you do that it doesn't make a lot of sense let's sit where it's comfortable where it's easy right where it's not real dangerous I mean, I get that, and, and I, I'm a visionary guy. I, I love risk, but I got to tell you, there's things that just you know scare me a little bit. We uh, years ago, you took a a big risk with myself and my wife in calling us here. There's there's a few people in the building that were part of that, and uh, and then the Lord blessed us in a time of recession, 2009. We had like 500 million dollars in the bank here at our church. Well, it was 80 thousand, but for us, that's the same thing as 500 million. And uh, nobody had $80,000 in the bank as a church our size at, at that time unless God was involved. And so we start looking for a youth and worship guy. And, and so we're saying, okay, what's, what's the reward in all of this? Why are we doing this? Why are we stepping out? When most people are stepping back. It's the recession. What are you thinking? Take that money and, and, and be wise with it. Be good stewards. Save it up. You're going to need it. fascinating thing we interviewed about five different people and the fifth one that we interviewed uh his name is brandon when he got done with the interview he really wanted the job he literally turned to me and said um i think you want the guy that i work with i said well don't you want the job because we were sold on this guy he said well yeah i want the job but i'm not the right guy for the job you want this guy named steven and so we hired Stephen. And that 80000 got down to $29,000. Just enough that we would have to start trusting God again. You see where I'm going with this, right? It's a never-ending process, right? For those who know Christ, you know this. It's a day-in, day-out process for all of us. That's what makes it invigorating, exciting. got us down to 29000 and right when that tension happened, we were like, did we do the wrong thing? And yet we're reaping what? We're reaping incredible rewards. We're seeing young people come to the Lord. You're getting actual professional music instead of me. Why are you laughing? What's so funny about that? I'm going to review that tape, Alan, and see who that was. We were rewarded because of our step of faith, and guess what? The Lord didn't let it go below 29, and we came back up, and we leveled out, and even to the point now where our Our time has shown us that we've got to trust God again because we've got all these kids and we need a children's minister and in about 15 minutes we're going to vote on one. We have no business a church of 150 adults having three staff. I'll just tell you that. That's a step of faith. But the reason that we're even entertaining the idea is because God has brought us over 60 children between, actually over 100 children between three different ministries that we run here. And in order to take it to the next step and to really help our volunteers who are tired, we need to take that next step. And we believe God's making it happen and and God's pulling it together for us. So we take this step of faith and there's a reward. You see what I'm saying? There's a reward, there's a reward, there's a reward. Why? Because I see and I'm experiencing it? Yes. But first and foremost, because He said it. So what is that ultimate reward? Well, Peter did a great job and nailing that down first Peter 1 3 through 9 go ahead and turn there heaven is the reward of faith heaven is possible now through faith and lastly heaven is impossible without faith let's look at this passage in first Peter 1 3 through 9 Peter says this now understand this you just heard about Peter walking on water with Christ right so it would stand to reason that Peter walked with Christ talked with Christ got it right Now we're talking decades later, Peter's talking and writing to individuals that he knows has never seen, never experienced Christ. This is faith. And what does the Apostle Peter say about these people? He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter was amazed. You see, for him, he'd experienced Christ personally in a tangible way. But now he's getting to minister to and encourage people that have to operate by faith. And you can hear the joy coming off of his lips here. Coming out of his soul. But where does he go here? Where's the reward? How does heaven factor into this? Then he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Here it is. The salvation of your souls. My friends, we think in terms of today. And and, you know, on some levels, that's a biblical concept. But can I tell you that my life is radically different when I've got at the forefront of my mind, heaven. When I'm able to marginalize the problems and challenges of this world and the joys of this world, and how fleeting and how temporary they are in the span of what Christ has for us. It shapes my attitude. It makes me uncommon. Heaven has that power. That we don't just experience it when we die as believers, those who have trusted their life in Jesus Christ, that we don't just experience it after, but we actually get to experience parts of it now. Paul said it this way, he said, for now we see in part, but then we will see fully. Heaven is the reward of faith. There's a, uh, a great story out of Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. Somebody was wandering through a cemetery. Those are kind of scary people if you ask me. But we'll we'll take their quote here. They're in some cemetery in Indiana. And they saw this on a tombstone. It says, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. But the person who gives, gives the story to Randy went on to say that someone scratched in with like a rock or something the following. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss poem or something, right? But the reward of faith is heaven. It is what is waiting for us, and I, am, I implore you, turn to Re- you don't do it right now, but turn to Revelation 21 at some point this week, and look at what a, a partial picture of what heaven holds for us. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more struggle, no more night. It's eternally light because it's coming from the Father. No more separation from God, no more separation from those that that we love, that have loved Him. My question to you right now in this moment is, even though it's scary and trust is required to have faith, we have to have faith in Him, right? It is impossible to please Him without faith. Are you there? Are you there? It is no easy challenge, this thing called faith. But I implore you, If this faith thing is irrational, which a lot of people say it is, look, I've done some stupid things in my life, but I don't consider myself an irrational person. I look out at a lot of you, and I know your testimony is of faith, and I don't consider you irrational, but the world would say you are. So this room's filled with irrational people. matter of fact, this world is filled with irrational people. Those who have faith in Christ. Those who are choosing to die for their faith in Christ. You know, when I grew up, those were the stories about Africa and missionaries from like the 19th century. I'll tell you right now, the 19th century has got nothing on us right now for Christians around the world. those might be irrational people? Uh, What about all the irrational people throughout history who've placed their faith in Christ? Are they really irrational? Or have they actually tapped into something that goes way beyond what they could do? That their experience in faith, even though it's scary, has provided such a deep reward that it will always and can never be taken from them. Heaven is possible now through faith. Romans 5. i just finishing up today. Thinking about this idea, let's look at Romans 5, 1-2. through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of... Of the glory of God. That's basically saying we're stoked about what's waiting for us in heaven. That's what Paul's saying. Wow. Are you there? Because to move from the common, even Christ said it, it is harder for a rich man to go to heaven or to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's irrational. And yet rational people are making this choice all the time. Because they see the fallacy of what they can do, which is shrouded with limitation. And somehow, some way, a spark, a seed of faith is sprouted in their heart and they're compelled to act upon it even though they don't know for sure what's going to happen. Just like Peter getting out of the boat, right? But something implores them. Something moves them. Two irrational movements. And guess what? They are rewarded. They're rewarded now. And ultimately, they're rewarded for eternity with heaven. Is that where you are today? I beg of you. Do not wait one more minute. One more second. If there is any pull, if there is any compulsion to draw near to God, that is not because of your rational thought. It is because God is reaching out to you and He is speaking to you right now. And if you have not yet tasted of that faith, that seed is being planted in you right now. Respond to Him in faith. Faith is being sure of things we cannot see. And what did Peter say about those individuals? He says, you believe in that which you cannot see and you have inexpressible joy as a result. Because you know the reward that is waiting for you. You know the reward that is waiting for you. Heaven is impossible without faith. C.S. Lewis says this, All your life is an unattainable ecstasy. Oh, I'm sorry, Let, let me start again. All your life, an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you awake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it. Or else, that it was within your reach and you have lost it forever. Heaven is impossible without faith. You know, the beauty of trust and that idea of the reward of heaven is regardless of your position in Christ, whether you know Him or whether you don't know Him, we're all flooded with challenges in life, right? Right? And, you know, if for those that don't know Christ yet, I've had a lot of those individuals tell me that they really are frustrated with believers who say, I don't know how somebody who doesn't know Christ gets through these problems. Don't back off saying those things. I would implore those that that's a frustrating thing to hear. We're not really saying that boy, you can't get through problems without Christ. I guess what is being said there is there's the difference between being a shrub that's in a desert or a tree that is able to thrive when the heat comes and it never fails to bear fruit. That's really what is being said. St- This past week, I learned what it meant to get small. I don't know that I've ever been that small. What do I mean? Well, in stark contrast to the guy who could pump the brakes just fine and operate a vehicle, he had no business driving. We all kind of get that Superman attitude, don't we? About what we can do, what we can pull off, what we, we can make happen. But you never know what's coming around the corner. And when you get hit with something you can't handle, you can't take care of, and you're left with nothing, but to remember the Lord your God, you suddenly feel small. That's a good thing. Because I know what I can't do. But I can't possibly wrap my mind around all that God can do. To me, that's faith. To me, that's the reward. For He who can do immeasurably more than I could possibly imagine. And I will tell you that on certain levels, I could stand up here this morning and preach to you in my own strength. I will tell you that did not happen this morning. It's just a small sample size of what it means to be small. That was a redundant thought. Sorry about that. But the idea of being small is really shrouded in this idea of trusting God because He's so big. I encourage you. Seek Him out. Be uncommon. Because the strength that my family is being held up in currently is an uncommon strength. And we're praising God because of it. Let me close in prayer. Thank you for being here. And listen. I, 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 don't, I don't mention the stuff that we're going through as some kind of a highlight. I do it to sympathize with you. Because you're going through things. And it's good to know that we all go through things, right? That there isn't anybody that's untouchable. And so I empathize with you. It's the only reason I even mention it. So maybe I can know how to be a better pastor. Pastor. How to pray deeper for you as you're agonizing through the things that life hands you. And how do you deal with it? How do you handle it? Do it through faith. You trust. Because He is worthy of being trustworthy. I have something in my pocket. Oh, there! see, I just did it. You thought we were finished? And I just pulled a jar. I've got, I've got the whole world in my pocket here. Thinking, what on earth? I got the whole world here. Right? I mean how how much of the week do we spend earning this? How much time? How much college, Peter, are you gonna to have to go through so you can earn this? Endless. Could you fathom working on your faith eight to ten hours a day? Commuting an hour and a half just to work on your faith every single day? See, this doesn't require faith. This is what I can do. And the people that coined this, that stamped it, that designed it, were very wise people. Because they put a reminder on every single one. The reminder, the very godless society says, in God we what? In God we trust. Because this has no assurances. Can you relate to that? This has no assurances. So I've got to find something bigger than this. So we get a 50 cent piece next week. Okay. Let me close in prayer. Father, You are worthy of trust. And the beautiful part about our faith is that it leads to a great reward. That that is the picture of who we have as our God. One that wants to and desirously works towards giving us a reward. And not some cheap trinket. Father, You have built something majestic that will last for forever. you built something that will be pleasing, that will satisfy us completely, that will relieve us of all pressure, of all difficulty, of all pain and sorrow. You desire to give us good things. Do we have the faith to believe it? And if we do, God, You will move us from the common to the uncommon. All this is from God, who through Jesus Christ is reconciling us to Himself and giving us this ministry of reconciliation. To You be the glory forever and ever. Amen.